This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. A modest woodchopper, a stolen fortune, and a magical cave. Sounds like the perfect ingredients for an epic adventure, right? Well, get ready to dive into the classic tale of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, the legendary story covered in our series, Tales. If you enjoy these episodes and want to discover more origins to your favorite pieces of folklore, subscribe to Tales today. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Ali Baba secured the last of the day's branches onto his donkeys. He wiped sweat from his brow and sighed. The wood was sufficient for a few meals, but it was never enough to get ahead. Ali squinted into the distance. A great many horsemen were coming. If there were men this far in the woods, they were most likely bandits, murderers. Panicking, Ali couldn't flee and abandon his donkeys. He could not afford to have them stolen. Also, the horsemen would know their owner was close by. They would find him and slay him. Ali quickly led his donkeys around a large rock and tied them around a bush. Ali shimmied up a tree trunk just in the nick of time. His worn shoe narrowly missed the top of a horse's head as he disappeared into the branches. The captain called out and men stopped right below him. Ali peered over a branch. Highwaymen indeed. They had clearly overtaken a caravan based on the loot they were boasting. A man stepped forward, the leader of the group carrying hefty bags of jewels. He stood in front of a massive stone and yelled, Open, O oh Sim Sim. Ali had to blink to believe what was happening. The rock was moving. As he stared in wonder, he almost slipped. He caught himself just in time, but the damage was done. A branch snapped in two. Ali watched helplessly as it landed on a man's head. Aggravated, the man turned to see where it had come from. Ali closed his eyes. There was nothing left but to wait for his doom.
I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales. Today, I'm beginning Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves, the story that gifted us the most magical of phrases, open sesame. The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, this story involves dark subjects, including gory mutilation, corpses being stitched together, and 41 counts of murder. Please exercise caution for children under 13. If you want to hear more tales, you can find episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or Parcast.com. A new episode will release every other Saturday, so if you enjoy it, subscribe. Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves is one of the more popular stories in 1001 Nights, the famous collection of Middle Eastern folktales from the 9th to 13th century, a period that is known as the Islamic Golden Age. Interestingly, Ali Baba, along with some of the other more famous tales associated with that collection, like Aladdin and his wonderful lamp, and the seven voyages of Simbad the sailor, were not included in the original Arabic versions. In fact, they were not written down until the early 1700s, when French writer Antoine Galland translated the stories from Arabic into French. Galland added these tales to the anthology after he traveled to Syria in 1709 and was introduced to a monk who recounted these tales from memory. For a fairy tale, Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves has very few magical elements. The most magical moment in the story is when the cave door opens simply by encanting the words, Open Sesame. However, there is a school of thought that argues that this was an entirely reasonable occurrence. In the Galan story, the thieves say Sim Sim, which translates to Sesame, but Sim Sim was also a man's name. In those days, there were no banks, so it was not uncommon for bandits to use blind and mute men to guard their loot. The blind man couldn't leave, nor could he tell anyone where the treasures were hidden. It is entirely plausible that such a man named Sim Sim was guarding the Forty Thieves' treasure here, and was moving the boulder on command. Although in the story of Ali Baba, we never meet any man in the thieves' cave, blind or mute, so perhaps the cave is magical indeed. Originally, Ali had not been born a poor man, forced to chop wood for a living. He was born of the merchant class to a family of dignity. Ali Baba was the younger son, but his father's wish was for his money to go to his sons equally, even though that wasn't always customary. His father believed in young Ali Baba, and wanted him to be able to live with some modicum of security and prosperity. But his older brother, Kasim, was a greedy man. And when their father died, Kasim took everything for himself. Kasim had married Zara, the daughter of an opulent merchant, and she had nothing but disdain for Ali and his wife. Ali married Karima, a woman who had no dowry to offer him, and so they lived in a mud hut in the poor quarter of the city, a slum. And each day, when Ali wasn't out chopping wood, 
he was peddling it through the winding, narrow city streets, past the beggars and the foul-smelling human waste. It was drudgery, and his back ached every day. But he made an honest living, and he found contentment in his existence. Ali didn't hate his brother. He knew that Kasim thought he was entitled to his inheritance as the eldest son. Ali Baba accepted with dignity that this was Allah's place for him. And he did not complain. He took comfort sometimes in the quiet of the wood, away from the poverty of the city, away from the noise. So it was quite a shock to encounter a gang of thieves that evening on his way home. And now here he was in a tree branch, looking down at an astonishingly large group of men standing in front of a rock, praying he wouldn't be discovered as the broken branch fell onto one of the thieves. As the man it landed on looked up towards the offending tree, Ali didn't dare move or breathe. Surely he was finished. Suddenly, the man snapped his head away from Ali and looked towards the noise. Ali followed his gaze and had to blink to believe what he was seeing. The massive rock was moving, and beyond that, it was revealing a cave. Ali stared in awe. How could this be possible? He had walked by this boulder many a day and had never seen it so much as budge, much less be moved simply by uttering the word sesame. All of the men disappeared inside, and the rock magically closed behind them. Ali sat in wonder. The rock had moved as if it were as light as a feather. This wasn't possible. Ali wanted to get away from this sorcery and this band of murderers, but he couldn't risk leaving and having them re-emerge right as he was untying his donkeys. No, he was stuck here until they had cleared out again. It was too dangerous. And so he waited. And waited. Just when he thought perhaps they would never re-emerge, the rock rolled open and the captain of the thieves strode out, looking each way checking that the coast was clear. Ali recoiled behind a branch. He counted that all 39 men followed behind the captain, and they mounted their horses. Shut, O Simsim! The captain spoke with authority, and the boulder obediently closed the cave. Ali watched in a mixture of awe and fear as the bandits rode off leaving a cloud of dust wafting into the branches, almost choking him. At last, Ali could breathe a sigh of relief, literally and figuratively. As he climbed back down the tree, he turned to his donkeys, ready to head home. But then he glanced back at the cave. Surely there was a reason that he had been here to witness this moment. Maybe he should see what was inside, Maybe just to see if he could also make a rock move with magic words. Suddenly, the words tumbled out of his mouth before he could think better of it. Open, O Simsim. Ali Baba could not believe it. 
Sure enough, the magical words worked again. The hulking stone moved at his command. He looked around to see if anyone was still lingering. No one. Tentatively, he stepped inside. The cavern was vaulted, and the roof of the cave had been carved open at the top, and sunlight streamed in, so that the cave was not gloomy or darkened at all, but you could see quite clearly all that lay before you. And what lay before him was enough to take his breath away. The floor was covered in the finest rugs. The walls were adorned with exquisite silks and ornate, colorful brocades. He reached out and touched a particularly stunning embroidered cloth. It surely cost more than his house, but what astonished Ali the most were the countless gold coins everywhere. They spilled out of leather sacks and satchels. They fell out of drawers and tumbled onto the rugs. The Ashrafi coins glinted in the streams of sunlight wafting through the cave, glittering, calling to him. There were so many it would take years to count. It was then that Ali realized that the thieves weren't here storing treasures from just a recent plundering. No, the wonders that lay behind this rock had been here for generations. Ali Baba made haste, filling several bags with all the Ashrafi they could hold, and not forgetting the sacred invocation, cried, Shut, O Simsim! As he made his way back to his patient donkeys and saddled them with the heavy sacks, he hid the sacks of gold with his branches and wood and looked behind him, making sure to leave no trace. Smiling with satisfaction, he whistled his way into the sunset, content with the knowledge that no one would ever find out what he had just done. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now back to the story. Ali Baba's wife, Karima, saw the sun setting through the window and knew that her husband would be home any minute from his day cutting wood in the forest. She sat on the floor of her home, darning a simple dress, her tiny fingers working as fast as they could so she could prepare dinner. She was a pretty but modest woman. She had known hard work all her life, 
never allowing herself to dream that life could be more than this. She startled at the noise and poked her finger. Ouch! Ali rushed in a whirlwind of excitement. She had never seen him like this. He looked as if he'd lost his mind. She looked at the bags suspiciously and back up at Ali Baba, whose face shone with joy. Look inside, he exclaimed gleefully. Karima opened the sack, and her eyes grew wide at what she saw. We are rich, he informed his wife with pride. But her eyes grew angry. There was no way Ali could have come into this much money without doing something despicable. You are a thief. How dare you do such an ill thing? We are honorable people. We are not petty criminals. She stood up to turn away from him, but he grabbed her hand. Rejoice, my love. And with that, he explained his adventures, how he had nearly been killed by bandits, but by the grace of Allah, he had been bestowed the magical words to a cave of untold riches. Karima could see the glimmer in his eye. She knew Ali could never do something dishonorable. She believed that he had been led to this treasure by Allah. How much is there? She asked, entranced by the fortune in front of her. Ali confessed that he had no idea, but they needed to bury the money so that no one would know what they had uncovered. I will get a scale so we can weigh it she told him, caught up in the enthusiasm in spite of herself. Ali Baba nodded his approval, but warned her, Tell no one about this discovery. She assured him that this secret was safe and quickly made her way to their brother-in-law Kasim's home to borrow a scale. Kasim's wife Zara greeted Karima coolly as she opened the door. What brings you here this afternoon, sister? She spoke the word sister as if it were poison. Karima did not care for her sister-in-law at all, but she was more tolerable than Kasim, who spoke rudely to all women, including his own wife, and spoke only of his wealth and power. Karima looked down, ashamed of her appearance as she stepped inside. I come to ask a favor. She said bashfully, as Zara appraised her with thinly veiled disdain. I was wondering if I could borrow your scale. Zara looked at her as if she didn't believe her for a moment. Is that so? Well, would you like to borrow the large scale or the small scale? Oh, the small one, of course. You know we don't have much. Karima smiled convincingly. With a frown, Zara turned. Of course, my sister. I'd be happy to lend a hand to a family member in need. After Zara left the room, Karima looked around at all the fine things adorning her sister-in-law's home, getting lost in a fantasy that this was hers. Karima jumped and turned around. Zara had quietly come back into the room. She had a smile on her face. Karima did not trust when Zara smiled. She held out to Karima a modest scale, not very large at all. The bottom of the cups were lined with a pretty red wax. 
Karima had never seen that before, but paid it no mind. I will bring it back before nightfall. Zara smiled smugly. I'll look forward to it. As soon as Karima walked back to her impoverished quarter of the city, she couldn't help but shake the feeling that Zara was up to something. She tried to push it out of her mind. When she returned home, the joy of their newfound wealth returned, and she and Ali spent hours weighing and counting all of their coins. They could live for years in prosperity. They could afford decent meat, clothes for the winter. Karima cried at the merciful end to their days of suffering. Later that night, Kasim entered his home, expecting to smell the aroma of a fine-cooked meal, lamb stew perhaps. But instead, he walked in on his wife, pacing, agitated. This was unlike Zara. He did not care for when she preoccupied her mind with things other than him. Where is dinner? He asked bluntly, crossing his arms. Husband, I am in a state. You will not believe what has happened. You think you are a man of wealth, but your brother is vastly superior to you. Kasim scoffed in disbelief. Surely your feminine logic fails you. But I will listen to what you have to say once you pour me a glass of wine. Kasim settled into his designated chair at the head of the table and waited to be served. What is wrong with you, woman? In her state, she had nervously broken a glass of wine. Zara apologized and cleaned up the broken glass. In her haste, she nicked her finger on one of the pieces, delaying her further. Kasim sighed with impatience. Zara quickly set the glass of wine in front of him and picked up the scale from the table. Look, our own sister-in-law just returned this after borrowing it. I had a feeling she was up to no good, so I smeared wax at the bottom of the scale to see the remains of what she was weighing, and look. An errant gold coin had stuck in the wax. She held out the Ashrafi to Kasim. Kasim took the coin from her and turned it over in his palm. Upon my word, what is a pauper doing with a coin such as this? Kasim stroked his beard. You did well, Zara. You were smart to suspect those two were lying paupers. Zara lowered her lashes and smiled weakly. Thank you, my love. Now fix supper. Kasim couldn't sleep that night. He tossed and turned, a ball of angst and envy. He could not believe that his younger brother, pathetic woodcutter, should become such a prestigious man in the city and not even tell him. He awoke with the dawn and made his way to Ali's mud hut, so consumed with jealousy that he was willing to step foot in the decrepit part of the city for the first time in his life. He stepped around men with no legs and toothless old women. He thought he might wretch at the sight of them, 
but his wrath and fury at his lying brother gave him the strength to go on. Karima opened the door, but just stood there, face twisting in confusion. Kasim had no time for this. He pushed past her and found his lying, good-for-nothing brother getting ready for his day. Ali Baba looked up in surprise. Brother, what are you doing here? Kasim pointedly kicked over a bucket in the corner, spilling grain on the floor and not bothering to pick it up or apologize. You were born a second son, relegated to this life. You are a woodcutter and shall always be so. Indeed, Ali agreed. Kasim sneered. Don't feign innocence, you thief. I see right through you. You are rich. You have thousands of coins, and yet you pretend to live in poverty. Ali laughed nervously. Kasim glared. I don't know what you're talking about, brother. Just yesterday I was in the woods felling trees. As you can see, I am preparing to go to the market now to sell the dead branches. Liar! Kasim quickly removed the coin from his pocket and held it up to Ali's face. Kasim delighted in how crestfallen Ali looked as he shoved the Ashrafi under his nose. What a fool his brother had been to think he could get away with this kind of deceit. Kasim had always been the smarter one. He smiled and stepped menacingly towards his brother. He liked seeing him cower. Zara was clever enough to put wax in the scales because she knew you two were trying to deceive her. Now, you will tell me exactly where you found these, or I will report you as a thief for every last coin you have on this property. Ali trembled. I swear everything I'm about to tell you is true. Kasim rushed home and quickly gathered his horses. He made his way to the forest without a moment's delay. He could barely believe the audacity Ali had to lie to his face. Ali's story had been so absurd, he was ready to prove its falsehood at once. Magic rocks? Embroidered rugs on the floor of a sunlit cave? What nonsense. Still, Spurred on by his jealousy, he could not get to this cave of wonders fast enough. He wanted to punish Ali Baba for his preposterous tale, and yet, a part of him wanted this treasure trove to be real. Kasim pulled the reins on his horse. There it was, unmistakable. The massive stone loomed before him. He dismounted and tied up his horse, nervously approaching the hulking stone. Open, O oh Simsim, he said. His voice was shaky as it came out, and he was glad no one could hear him. His eyes almost popped out of his head. Alibaba was right. The words were magic. He entered the cave. Greed coursing through his veins. Ali described it as a grotto of material wealth beyond all imagining. Kasim thought that surely Ali must be overstating its wonder. 
But when Kasim saw it with his own eyes, he felt Ali Baba had not done it justice. He was going to be the richest man in the city. Nay, he would buy the city. He laughed, scooping gold coin after gold coin into his leather bags. Kasim had been so drunk with desire for all of these material things, he had forgotten all sense of time and space lost in a fever dream of gold and silk. But the horses reminded him he was in a storehouse of robbers and murderers. If they found him here, he would never step foot outside of this cave again. He quickly gathered his satchels and rushed to the cave entrance. Open, O Barley! He shouted at the top of his lungs. Kasim ran forward to leave, but the stone wouldn't budge. He pounded it a few times to see if that would make a difference. Nothing. Irritated, Kasim yelled, Open, O wheat! Ali had told him it worked both inside and out. Had he lied? Perhaps he remembered incorrectly. Kasim started yelling out every grain he could possibly think of, except for the one he needed to yell. They were very close now. Kasim frantically looked for another way out, but there was no ladder to reach the skylight, no side entrance to this cave. He was confused, perplexed, and growing increasingly concerned for his life. At last, the way out! The stone just had a delayed response. He sprinted out, trying to break away before anyone would be able to enter. A great many men strode towards Kasim, and he looked wildly around. Surely he could sprint to his horse and get away. He mustered his courage and ran as fast as he could towards the pack of men. He could jump onto the side of the rock if need be. Before he knew it, Kasim was sliced in two, dead. The two halves of his shocked face slid apart and fell to the floor unceremoniously. The captain stood over him in disbelief. How had someone broached this passage? He loomed over Kasim's murdered body and turned to his men. Put back what he was trying to steal from us. Two men ushered forward and collected the bags, scurrying to place them further back in the cave out of sight. How did he know how to get in here? He mused, pacing back and forth, measured, calm, terrifying. Let us hope that he is the sole person that knows about our hiding spot, but just in case... We shall hang his body in four pieces on each side of the door to this cavern as a warning for any who enter this cave. He let the words hang in the air for a moment. Get to it! One of the thieves stepped forward and hacked Kasim's body into two more pieces, quartering him. The men dragged one half of his torso and his left leg to one side of the door the right leg and the other half of his torso to the other. 
Each side of the door would have one of Kasim's eyeballs gazing out at them in terror. Kasim's gaping mouth filled with gravel as it was raked across the cave floor. Another man held a leg up, pinning his ankle to the cave wall, as another went to work securing the body. Finally, the captain strode out of the cave, whistling for the men to follow suit. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now back to Tales. Ali Baba opened his eyes. It was dark out. Who could be here at such an hour? Karima rolled over, eyes full of alarm. Ali quickly got up and went to make sure everything was okay. Ali flung the door open, and a tiny woman, her face hidden by a hood, stood before him. Who are you? Ali demanded, fearful this was some witch here for their fortune. The woman removed her hood. It was Zara, She had clearly risked her life to come to this part of town at such an hour. Zara had never visited them, and Ali wasn't even sure how she had found them, but he quickly pulled her inside without asking any questions. Kasim has not returned from the cave. I thought I might find him here, she said. Ali Baba shook his head. Ali sat with Zara at the table, where she began to cry. I believe some great misfortune has befallen him. Something terrible has happened. Ali tried to comfort her. Kasim is a smart man. There is either a prudent reason for his delay, one that will ensure his safe return to you, or he took the long way around the city so as not to attract attention on his way in. Ali could tell that his words did little to help her. She pulled her shawl tighter. She looked to him with watery eyes. Please, Ali, please go to this place and find out if he is okay. Ali assured her that he would do it. She thanked him. Ali observed his sister-in-law. Zara's demeanor was softer in this environment. She was nervous and timid and clearly did not know whom to turn to when Kasim was gone. She turned her face to him sadly. Perhaps I shouldn't have been so filled with greed and envy and cared so much about your fortune. Kasim would never have been led into danger. 
let's not assume the worst. Ali patted her arm and gently encouraged her to return to her home. Perhaps Kasim is already there. She cried harder, shaking her head, and implored Ali to come as soon as he had discovered something. As soon as dawn broke, Ali headed out into the woods as if it were any other day. He also had an ominous feeling about Kasim's fate, but tried to put the dark thoughts out of his mind. Ali arrived at the cave, and much to his relief, found that nothing appeared different. There was no sign of a terrible incident. He tied up his donkeys and approached the cave yet again. Open, O Simsim! Before Ali could even step foot inside the cavern entrance, he saw what lurked behind the boulder. Kasim. The blood was still dripping from his limbs onto the earth. His eyes had popped out of their sockets and were dangling like ornaments. Ali wanted to run. He had never been so afraid in all his life. This is what would happen to him if he didn't get out of here fast enough. He shuddered and resisted the urge to vomit. He had to act, though, and act quickly. Ali removed all four pieces of Kasim off of the wall, guts and entrails smearing on his clothes as he slung the body parts over his animals. He covered the limbs with blankets and branches, as if it were all part of his daily haul. He also took several more bags of Ashrafi, knowing that he would never come back to this cursed place again. Ali brought the remains of his brother to his widow's house, but went around the back to the slaves' quarters. Ali knew that Kasim's slave girl, Morgiana, would be the one to help him in these matters. Morgiana was bright, quick-witted, and above all, she was discreet. If you wanted something done, you asked Morgiana. Morgiana's eyes were inquisitive as she saw Ali Baba standing before her. What brings you here, Ali Baba? I need your help. Ali Baba led his donkeys into the courtyard and showed her the defiled body of his brother. Morgiana's eyes betrayed no emotion, but looked at Ali with steely resolve and competence. We must prepare the body for burial rites. He said, I have to warn you that this must be done with as much secrecy as possible. No one can know the truth of how Kasim died. I will deal with Zara. Morgiana nodded somberly as Ali left to inform Zara that she was now a widow. As a young girl raised in the streets, Morgiana had always relied on her shrewdness to get what she wanted, and she had wanted to work in the house of a powerful family, a place where she could have some influence and be of some use, even as a slave, even as a woman. She felt a debt of gratitude towards her master. Morgiana put on her most modest dress 
and dashed out of the house. She did not want Zara discovering her husband's body in her fragile emotional state. She hightailed it to the town druggist, ready to put on her best performance. She entered the shop with tears streaming down her face. The druggist was hunched over his powders and potions. Morjana sniffled, drawing his attention. What has happened? He looked up at her with alarm. Morjana bowed graciously. I have been sent from the house of my master, Kasim. He has fallen deathly ill, and we need anything to help ease his pain. He asked what his symptoms were, and Morjana sobbed so hard she could barely get the words out. He has not eaten in days. He can barely speak. His strength drops with each passing hour. The man nodded grimly and immediately went to work. He conjured a potion up quickly and instructed her to give it to Kasim immediately. She handed him one of Ali Baba's Ashrafis. Thank you, thank you, she repeated. Her gratitude was effusive. Morjana rushed out of the shop and rushed back home, where she quickly tossed the medicine. She wouldn't be needing that. All she could do was wait until the morning to go again. The next morning, she returned to the druggist, even more emotionally distraught. She had barely slept a wink, so her face was puffy with exhaustion, a devoted slave to her dying master. The druggist observed her with concern. Has it gotten worse? Morjana nodded sincerely. Oh, yes. Master Kasim will not live much longer. I'm not even certain that he will be able to swallow anything at this point. If anything, please give me something to ease a man who is knocking on Allah's door. I will try. The man was so consumed with preparing this potion for the dismembered Kasim, Morjana almost felt bad about her theatrics, but she knew that the truth would be even worse. So she hid a smile and maintained her best devastated expression. The man handed her a powerful medicine, an elixir that was meant to prepare one for their transition into the next life. Morjana clutched it gratefully. As she left, she felt duly satisfied that people in the city would believe Kasim had died of natural causes. No one would suspect a slave capable of concocting such an elaborate ruse, much less a woman. As soon as she tossed that medicine, it was time to embark on the next phase of her plan, and this one would be slightly more complicated. That afternoon, Morgiana put on her veil, donning herself in secrecy, and made haste to the tailor, Baba Mustafa, well known for making shrouds and cloths for the dead. As Morjana pushed the door open to the shop, her hands were shaking. If she failed at this, she would be tortured and murdered. A slave girl lying to a respected merchant? The consequences were enough to turn her stomach. She approached the man she was looking for. 
He regarded her with curiosity. Morjana held up a gold coin that glinted in the golden sunset. He raised his eyebrows, intrigued. Please come with me. She held up a blindfold and tried to keep her voice steady, authoritative. You shall put this on, and I shall lead you. The place I'm taking you to must be kept secret. Baba Mustafa shook his head at the ridiculous proposal, but Morjana held up another coin. Baba considered. Are there more where these came from? Morjana smiled. Of course. Morjana led the man slowly through the city streets in the dimming light. She made sure that he couldn't even see his feet below him to be able to suss out any marks on the road that he might be able to remember the path at a later time. When they arrived at Kasim's compound, she kept the room dimly lit. She did not want Baba Mustafa to be able to get a sense of his surroundings, but to focus on the task at hand. This was the moment of truth. What would the man do? Accuse her of doing this herself? Turn her in? Holding her breath, Morjana lifted the blanket off of Kasim's hacked body. The man observed it stoically. Emboldened, Morjana requested that he sew the four quarters of the body back together. Baba Mustafa didn't even flinch at the request. Relief flooding her heart, Morjana showed him several more coins for him to do it quickly. When he was finished, she asked him to prepare a burial shroud. Baba Mustafa quickly took the measurements and was able to fit the sewn corpse for his viewing. Morjana took the blindfolded man back to his place of work, ready to be finished with this ordeal. At last, the body was ready. Ali Baba came and observed the work that had been done and thanked her for how expertly she had taken care of these sensitive matters. Morjana told him to think nothing of it, it was her duty. She could feel her shoulders drop down and relax again. She had pulled it off. She collapsed into her small cot with great relief. Kasim would die an honorable man. She never had to think about the terrible thieves that did this again. As the public mourning began for the rich merchant Kasim, the thieves returned to their hiding place, and as they stood in front of the entrance, they discovered that Kasim's body had disappeared. The men stood in stunned silence. The captain stepped forward slowly, observing the scene, noting that bags of Ashrafi were gone as well. He turned to face his men, and his expression twisted into a snarl. He furrowed his eyebrows. As he sneered, a gold tooth glinted in a swath of sunlight. Someone else knows of this place. We will find him, and we will kill him. Thanks for listening to Tales. 
Next week, we'll continue the tale of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves as the thieves discover Alibaba's identity and plot their revenge. If you want to listen to more tales, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory or listen on parcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, we'd truly appreciate a five-star review. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Tales was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Tales is written by Gina Machusek. I'm Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>